Sermon 59 of Leo the Great, Bishop of Rome. Translated by Charles Letfelto. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sermon 59 on the Passion 8 on Wednesday in Holy Week. 1. Christ's arrest fulfills his own eternal purpose. Having discoursed, dearly beloved, in our last sermon on the events which preceded the Lord's arrest, it now remains by the help of God's grace to discuss, as we promised, the details of the Passion itself. When the Lord had made it clear by the words of his sacred prayer that the divine and the human nature was most truly and fully present in him, showing that the unwillingness to suffer proceeded from the one, and from the other the determination to suffer by the expulsion of all frail fears, and the strengthening of his lofty power. Then did he return to his eternal purpose, and in the form of a sinless slave encounter the devil who was savagely attacking him by the hands of the Jews, that he in whom alone was all men's nature without fault might undertake the cause of all. The sins of darkness, therefore, assailed the true light, and, for all their torches and lanterns, could not escape the night of their own unbelief, because they did not recognize the fount of light. They arrest him, and he is ready to be seized. They lead him away, and he is willing to be led. For though, if he had willed to resist, their wicked hands could have done him no harm, yet thereby the world's redemption would have been impeded, and he who was to die for all men's salvation would have saved none at all. 2. How great was Pilate's crime in allowing himself to be led astray by the Jews. Accordingly, permitting the affliction on himself of all that the people's fury inflamed by the priests dared do, he is brought to Annas, father-in-law to Caiaphas, and thence Annas passes him on to Caiaphas. And after the calumniator's mad accusations, after the lying falsehoods of suborned witnesses, he is transferred to Pilate's hearing by the delegation of the two high priests, who, in neglecting the divine law and exclaiming that they had no king but Caesar, as if they were devoted to the Roman laws and had left the whole judgment in the hands of the governor, really sought for an accomplisher of their cruelty rather than an umpire of the case. For they gave up Jesus, bound in hard bonds, bruised by many buffets and blows, spat upon, already condemned by their shouts, so that amidst so many signs of their own verdict, Pilate might not dare to acquit one whom all desired to perish. In fact, the very inquiry shows both that he found in the accused no fault, and that in his judgment he did not adhere to his purpose. For as judge he condemns one whom he pronounces guiltless, invoking on the unrighteous people the blood of the righteous man with whom he felt by his own conviction, and knew from his wife's dream he must have nothing to do. That stained soul is not cleansed by the washing of hands. There is no expiation of water-besprinkled fingers for the crime abetted by that wicked mind. Pilate's fault is indeed less than the Jews' crime, for it was they that terrified him with Caesar's name chowed him with hateful words, and drove him to perpetuate his wickedness. But he also did not escape incrimination for playing into the hands of those that made the uproar, for abandoning his own judgment, and for acquiescing in the charges of others. 3. Yet the Jews' guilt was infinitely greater. In bowing, therefore, dearly beloved, 
to the madness of the implacable people, in permitting Jesus to be dishonored by much mocking, and harassed with excessive insults, and in displaying him to the eyes of his persecutors, lacerated with scourges, crowned with thorns, and clothed in a robe of scorn, Pilate doubtless thought to appease the enemy's minds, so that when they had gluttoned their cruel hate, they might cease further to persecute one whom they beheld subjected to such a variety of afflictions. But their wrath was still in full blaze, and they cried out to him to release Barabbas and let Jesus bear the penalty of the cross. And thus, with consenting murmur, the crowd said, His blood be on us and on our sons. Those wicked folk gained to their own damnation what they had persistently demanded, whose teeth, as the prophet bore witness, were arms and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. For in vain did they keep their own hands from crucifying the Lord of glory, when they had hurled at him the tongue's deadly darts and the poisoned weapons of words. On you, on you, false Jews and unholy leaders of the people, falls the full weight of that crime. And although the enormity of the guilt involves the governor and the soldiers also, yet you are the primary and chief offenders. And in Christ's condemnation, whatsoever wrong was done either by Pilate's judgment or by the cohorts carrying out of his commands, makes you only the more deserving of the hatred of mankind, because the impulse of your fury would not let even those be free from guilt who were displeased at your unrighteous acts. 4. Christ bearing his own cross is an eternal lesson to the church. And so the Lord was handed over to their savage wishes, and in mockery of his kingly state, ordered to be the bearer of his own instrument of death, that what Isaiah the prophet foresaw might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, a child is born, and a son is given to us, whose government is upon his shoulders. When, therefore, the Lord carried the wood of the cross, which should turn for him into the scepter of power, it was indeed in the eyes of the wicked a mighty mockery, but to the faithful a mighty mystery was set forth, seeing that he, the glorious vanquisher of the devil, and the strong defeater of the powers that were against him, was carrying in noble sort the trophy of his triumph, and on the shoulders of his unconquered patience bore into all realms the adorable sign of salvation, as if even then to confirm all his followers by this mere symbol of his work, and say, He that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. 5. The transference of the cross from the Lord to Simon of Cyrene signifies the participation of the Gentiles in his sufferings. But as the multitudes went with Jesus to the place of punishment, a certain Simon of Cyrene was found on whom to lay the wood of the cross instead of the Lord, that even by this act might be pre-signified the Gentiles' faith, to whom the cross of Christ was to be not shame but glory. It was not accidental, therefore, but symbolical and mystical, that while the Jews were raging against Christ, a foreigner was found to share his sufferings. As the Apostle says, If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. So that no Hebrew nor Israelite, but a stranger, was substituted for the Savior in his most holy degradation. For by this transference, the propitiation of the spotless Lamb and the fulfillment of all mysteries passed from the circumcision to the uncircumcision, from the sons according to the flesh 
to the sons according to the Spirit. Since, as the Apostle says, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, who, offering himself to the Father a new and true sacrifice of reconciliation, was crucified not in the temple, whose worship was now at an end, and not within the confines of the city, which for its sin was doomed to be destroyed, but outside, without the camp, that on the cessation of the old symbolic victims a new victim might be placed on a new altar, and the cross of Christ might be the altar not of the temple, but of the world. 6. We are to see not only the cross, but the meaning of it. Accordingly, dearly beloved, Christ being lifted up upon the cross, let the eyes of your mind not dwell only on that sight which those wicked sinners saw, to whom it was said by the mouth of Moses, And thy life shall be hanging before thine eyes, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt not be assured of thy life. For in the crucified Lord they could think of nothing but their wicked deed, having not the fear by which true faith is justified, but that by which an evil conscience is racked. But let our understandings, illumined by the spirit of truth, foster with pure and free heart the glory of the cross which irradiates heaven and earth, and see with the inner light what the Lord meant when he spoke of his coming passion. The hour is come that the Son of Man may be glorified. And below, he says, Now is my spirit troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy Son. And when the Father's voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it, and will glorify it again, Jesus in reply said to those that stood by, This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the world's judgment. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all things unto me. 7. The power of the cross is universally attractive. O wondrous power of the cross! O ineffable glory of the passion, in which is contained the Lord's tribunal, the world's judgment, and the power of the crucified! For thou didst draw all things unto thee, Lord, and when thou hadst stretched out thy hands all the day long to an unbelieving people that gainsaid thee, the whole world at last was brought to confess thy majesty. Thou didst draw all things unto thee, Lord, when all the elements combined to pronounce judgment in execration of the Jews' crime, when the lights of heaven were darkened, and the day turned into night, and the earth also was shaken with unwanted shocks, and all creation refused to serve those wicked men. Thou didst draw all things unto thee, Lord, for the veil of the temple was rent, and the holy of holies existed no more for those unworthy high priests. So that type was turned into truth, prophecy into revelation, law into gospel. Thou didst draw all things unto thee, Lord, so that what before was done in the one temple of the Jews in dark signs was now to be celebrated everywhere by the piety of all the nations in full and open rite. For now there is a nobler rank of Levites, there are elders of greater dignity and priests of holier anointing, because thy cross is the fount of all blessings, the source of all graces, and through it the believers receive strength for weakness, glory for shame, life for death. Now, too, the variety of fleshly sacrifices has ceased, 
and the one offering of thy body and blood fulfills all those different victims. For thou art the true Lamb of God that takest away the sins of the world, and in thyself so accomplished all mysteries, that as there is but one sacrifice instead of many victims, so there is but one kingdom instead of many nations. 8. We must live not for ourselves, but for Christ who died for us. Let us then, dearly beloved, confess what the blessed teacher of the nations, the Apostle Paul, confessed, saying, Faithful is the saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For God's mercy towards us is the more wonderful that Christ died not for the righteous, nor for the holy, but for the unrighteous and wicked. And though the nature of the Godhead could not sustain the sting of death, yet at his birth he took from us that which he might offer for us. For of old he threatened our death with the power of his death, saying by the mouth of Hosea the prophet, O death, I will be thy death and I will be thy destruction, O hell. For by dying he underwent the laws of hell, but by rising again he broke them, and so destroyed the continuity of death as to make it temporal instead of eternal. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so, dearly beloved, let that come to pass of which St. Paul speaks, that they that live should henceforth not live to themselves, but to him who died for all and rose again. And because the old things have passed away and all things are become new, let none remain in his old carnal life, but let us all be renewed by daily progress and growth in piety. For however much a man be justified, yet so long as he remains in this life he can always be more approved and better. And he that is not advancing is going back, and he that is gaining nothing is losing something. Let us run, then, with the steps of faith, by the works of mercy, in the love of righteousness, that keeping the day of our redemption spiritually, not in the old leaven of malice and wickedness, but in the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, we may deserve to be partakers of Christ's resurrection, who, with the Father and the Holy Ghost, liveth and reigneth for ever and ever. Amen. End of Sermon 59